Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well today. Feeling rested? Are we all appreciative of that hour of sleep last night, extra hour? Although the one, does anyone else struggle with this uh, biannual challenge when you get in your car and you can't remember how you change the clock? Am I the only one with that? <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, well, good. Thank you for making me feel not quite so bad about my memory. Before we uh, dive into the text, three matters of business as we are we're have, kind of having a team huddle here. The first matter of business that hit me last week, we have not been proactive with this, you guys. We need a special prayer meeting. So a group of you, if you would, after the second hour each Sunday until uh, January, February, would, would a group of us gather and pray for our kicker, Adam Vinatieri? His leg is on its last leg, and it's, it's going to stress some of us out. To Brian's in. All right, he'll lead that prayer group. Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> and then a uh, second matter of business is next Sunday we begin our One Thing Initiative seminar series. And we're offering three seminars for this One Thing Initiative that, that we've started. Now, if you're just joining us this year, our theme is One Thing. It's really a pursuit of dwelling in the presence of God based on Psalm 27, 4, where the psalmist prays, Lord, one thing I ask of you, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in your presence all the days of my life or dwell in your house. And so what's that look like, you know? And we, we said, okay, the, the initiative is this. We would all commit to a daily meeting with God, a weekly Sabbath, and an annual retreat. But how do you do that? That's the question that we'll be chasing. And it'll be an interactive time, and we'll be uh, sharing some uh, just practical steps on that, open to questions and, and interaction with the group. We're meeting 9 o'clock in the youth room. Everyone is invited, so please come. Um, or I think we have space for about 100 people, but we'll be doing three of these if you can't make next week. But next week, 9 o'clock youth room, and we'll gather, and then after that, you can grab some coffee donut and then come for our, our worship time at 1030. But we'd love to, to have you for that. Third matter of business, as we, if you're just joining us, this is especially important, but this year as we pursue one thing, one of the ways we're doing this is by soundtracking a psalm. God has given us 150 songs inspired by him to help us dwell in his presence as we go throughout our day. So we're going after the top 10, and we're taking one a month, and we're soundtracking that thing. So we're just, like when we wake up, it's what we're thinking about. We have it on our nightstand or whatever. When we uh, drive you know, driving to work at dinner table. It's what we're talking about as a family. It's what we're thinking about when we hit a challenge. And we just let this song get into our soul, eat it, breathe it, sleep it, so that it becomes part of our mental framework, which hopefully will uh, help us live with hope and live in his presence till the day we die. That's the, the vision. So today we start a new song. In September, it was Psalm 27.4. Last month, October, it was Psalm 113. Today, we start soundtracking Psalm 100. And if you haven't been in this one, it's five verses that help us raise the shade on life. And I just, uh, it's been already fuel for my soul, and I invite you to, to grab that thing and start soundtracking it as you do life. And just to, to summarize, get to the heart of this one thing initiative, the big goal, you guys, is really that by the end of the year, this year, 
we will have grown in our love for God is, is really the big goal. That every one of us, when we look back, realize this, this past ministry season, I fell in love with God in ways that, that I never have. And because when we dwell in his presence, we see his greatness and his, his beauty. And our response, we, when we understand his love for us, it's just like, Lord, I want to love you more. And when we dwell in his presence, he purifies our hearts to help, help us love each other. It's, it's there that he does that work. And as we dwell in his presence and we see his greatness, he helps us through our challenges as we realize, okay, yeah, it's a tough challenge, but God's bigger. And he's promised to see me through this. And then as we dwell in his presence, what's the one thing that keeps us from serving those around us? The, the biggest barrier is probably our pride. And it's in his presence. We see his humility and he melts our pride into humility and mobilizes our ministry to each other. So the big goal is that we would grow in love for him. And, and then out of that, that, that we would live. And today is a, a really neat moment. This is one day of 12, this that we will experience this coming year. It's the first Sunday of the month, and it's when we celebrate communion, which the Lord called us to when he was on earth. And we take the bread and the juice representing his body and his blood, and we remember his sacrifice for us. This is so much more than a tradition that we do. And this is a moment we enter his presence in a unique way. He's always present with us, but I believe as we just pause to focus on the cross, he will have something to say to each one of us. This is actually the pinnacle of our hour today. It's the worship. It's the moment we're, we're looking towards. And as we go into his word, um, ultimately it's even the, his word is preparing our hearts for what he will give to us and what we will give to him in this time of communion that we'll celebrate at the end of, of this hour. And so to prepare our hearts to ready us, for this, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2 today. Philippians 2, if you would look to verse 5, this is the, uh, verse 5 is really the heart of the text we'll look at today, and it's about relationships. Relationships are the subject of this text, and when you think about it, what matters most in life, you could really say it's relationships, isn't it? it when you boil it all down, um, what matters most in life is are the relationships that we have. God created us to connect with him. And one of the ways that we bring him glory, primary way we bring him glory, is through the, our relationships with each other. And then the primary way we receive his grace is through relationships with one another. So it makes sense. The enemy of our soul is out to destroy and divide what? Blow up our relational world. Relationship with him and, and with those around us. And so what was our Lord's intention? And when we think about the good news of the gospel, what is this good news? What does it center around? Relationships. With God, he came to restore this relationship. And out of this relationship, he's restoring these relationships, bringing us together as the, as the Prince of Peace. And so in this text, what God gives us through Paul is timeless truth to bring health to our relational world. And he starts with the vision of this is what should be in your relational world. Then he's like, okay, here's the logistics of how you get there. And then he ends with the vision of if you will live this out, this is what you're going to look like here on earth. And, and the, uh, the igniting vision to put this truth into play. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, reads this way. 
Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Big idea. Real simple. If you remember one thing today, this is the truth to remember. In your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Isn't that a powerful thought? What if? We, as we interact with each other, wherever that's at, at home, at work, at school, church community, random strangers, as we see people and as we relate in every relationship, we are thinking about each other with the mind of Christ, the way Christ would think about that that other person. What would happen if that plays out? And as we see this word mindset, or it's the idea of think like Christ, we we remember one of the, the... Really, core to to success in any realm of life is mindset, isn't it? Have the same mindset as Christ. Mindset is everything as we process life. It's how we bring in information, process it. I was immediately reminded of a book I read a couple years ago, sold over 2 million copies, and the uh, title of the book is Mindset. And they did a study with kids just to get get a read on their mindset in the context of failure. So that they gave these kids a puzzle that they couldn't solve and kind of a cruel test. But they went ahead and gave, and they watched the kids process failure. And they noticed some kids would get mad, sad, and quit, frustrated. Other kids, actually failure as they were hitting this wall that they couldn't get through, lit something up inside of them, and it was fuel. One little boy looked up with a smile and He said, I love a challenge. Another little girl um, looked up and said, I like to learn new things. And the failure actually wasn't uh, causing them to quit, but was accelerating them to to move. So the truth coming out of that into education is one of the goals of education is helping kids turn, change their mindset about failure into, hey, this is now, when, when I'm failing, I'm actually getting ready to learn something and turning that into fuel. It reminded me of this quote that a familiar quote, it says, one ship sails east, one sails west, regardless of how the winds blow. It's the set of the sail, not the gale, that determines the way you go. And so, and that brought to mind a warm, fuzzy moment that happened this spring or fall as we dropped Jesse off at college. And I remember that distinctly, we were at the last stoplight before we got to her dorm. And I was praying, Father, is there anything else you want me to tell this girl before she sails off into the cruel world? And this poem came to mind. So I told him, I said, Jess, there's two ships on the sea. One ship sails east, one ship sails west. How? It's the set of the sail. It's not what happens to you that matters in life. It's how you set your sail, which is your attitude. Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% the attitude with which you process that. And if you set your attitude to be positive, you're going to sail in a positive direction. And now she's like, Dad, that was pretty good. (laughs) It's like, yes, but actually it wasn't mine. (laughs) There's a poem about that. And actually it's the Lord. The Lord is saying to us today, okay, in your relationships, do you want thriving relationships? This thing that matters most, here's how it happens. As you relate to each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's uh, quick. Uh, you say, well, why is this so important? What's our default relational mindset? It leads to relational disintegration, doesn't it? 
But the mindset of Christ is actually what will integrate and bring us together. And so Paul begins with a vision of what this should look like here, especially in our our fellowship as a church family. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... So he's speaking into their identity based on who we are in Christ. Then make my joy complete. Fill up my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Can you feel Paul's passion just pleading with them? Okay, this is who you are. God's made you one in Christ. Now, be that. Following Christ is not just believing about believing in him. It's about belonging to a community of faith that he has brought together and has put together. And here's here's why it's so important. We're the body of Christ, right? The way that God is working out his redemptive plan on earth in this time and place is through us. But what what matters is that we are united so that we can, each part doing its its work and staying together, we're strong to, uh, to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. But if we're fractured and divided and and there's disunity, relational chaos and dysfunction, then the redemptive plan of God isn't what it could be in our homes and and in our community. This week I heard Tony Evans describe the church in a a neat way. He said it, he described it this way, our community, faith family, is a little bit of heaven a long way from home. Isn't that good? It's a little bit of heaven a long way from home. And he used the picture of an embassy. So Harold and Becky Brown were visiting, visiting in uh, Turkey a couple weeks ago. And if, watching the news, Turkey's in all kinds of chaos and turmoil. So if you're them, if you're U.S. citizens in Turkey, what is, wh- where is one place that, that uh, you've looked up on your GPS? Like, I know where this is at. It's the M- U.S. Embassy, right? Why? If things go crazy while you're in that country, you take off for the embassy, and the minute you step into the embassy, you have stepped where? Onto U.S. soil. It's U.S. soil in a foreign country, and you're safe. We, the church, we're the embassy of heaven, right? Outpost of heaven, a little bit of heaven a long way from home. How do we get there, you guys? How does that happen? We think like the king of heaven. We put on the mindset, and as we relate to each other, we're relating to each other as Christ would ha- related to us, and therefore this becomes the safest place on earth. It's crazy out there that when we gather in here, it's a little taste of heaven a long way from home. Isn't that a great picture? And so how do we get there? What's that look like? And that's where he takes us. The, uh, we'll go ahead and, and begin there in verse, verse uh, 3. He's going to lead us into three mindset shifts, three shifts in our mindset to think like Christ as we relate with each other. The first one in three says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The old mind is that we're self-absorbed. This is that idea of, of think about relational chaos what, what's the cause of that? And pretty much selfish ambition, vain conceit, you could say most relational issues come right from, from those root causes. When he says selfish ambition, he's speaking of that desire in us that 
is thinking only of myself and me being first. That driven like I will be first. I will one-up the world. Now, is he saying that, that ambition is wrong? No. In fact, we're called to have the right ambition and to be pursuing things passionately with the right, for the right reasons and, and uh, the right things. This is selfish ambition where it's about me and it's about elevating me and, and me uh, being first and looking good. And then the, and, and you may say, well, does this mean competition is bad? Like playing sports, should we? No, we, we should be uh, we, great competitors, but it's competing with the right heart. Not about me, but about um, the right thing and, and living for his glory and the good of, of those around us. And then he moves to vain conceit. And this is the obsessive concern with our own image. And it's not wrong to care about what others think. That's healthy social interaction. But it's just being so obsessed with how others view me and my image before others where I um, have lost sight of the needs around me and the the people. Um, My first thought is my image versus caring about the people around me. So what's the new mindset? How does What's it look like to think like Christ in the realm of relationship? We see this in verse, second part of verse 3 and 4. He says, rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but, but to the interest of others. And so moving from self-absorbed to an others first mindset. Someone has said, humility is not thinking less of self, like thinking I'm a, a doormat but it's thinking of self less. More and more, it's just, how can I serve the people around me or what, what are the needs of those around me? What's this look lived out, lived out in someone's life? What's it look like to live out this kind of others first mindset? And there is no more powerful, inspiring, mystery, mysterious, but yet beautiful picture than that of our Lord. And so we'll just, Go there. Verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, so Jesus is fully God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or grasped. The idea of hanging on to all the perks of his position as king of kings. Rather, he made himself nothing. It's that idea of he emptied his right to these privileges. It wasn't that when Jesus took on humanity, he, be, he ceased to be God. He continued to be fully God. And yet, the glory and the um, privileges that, that he had as at the right hand of the Father, he set those aside by taking the very nature of a servant, literally a slave, being made in human likeness. And I don't know about you, but as I read this and just remember what Christ did for us, Something in me just wants to shout, no, this is wrong. Like when Jesus went to wash Peter's feet and Peter's like, no, for for God, for the King of Kings to uh, come down and take on this humble role of a slave to serve me while I was doing him wrong and had offended him through my sin, it's just like, no. This isn't right, but then we hear him say, no, this is greatness. This is true greatness. This is glory, the glory of God in full color, and this is what I've called you to in your relational world, to think like this. Can you imagine 
the impact if all of us here today decided and said, Lord, with your help, I'm going to think this way as I interact with other people. Make this massive mindset shift from being self-absorbed. It's about, you know, me being first and me looking good to my goal is to lift others up, to use my privilege to be a slave, lifting the people around me up and making them look good and ultimately living for the glory of God alone so that I forget about myself, like have completely forgotten about myself in the pursuit of lifting other people up. Can you imagine the impact in this world if we did that? What do you get? You get a little taste of heaven a long way from home, don't you? And you get a gathering of people I can't wait to come hang out with. (laughs) This is possible through the power of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And this is what he's calling us to. Three diagnostic questions to aim at our hearts in this, this moment is, first, am I more concerned about my success or helping those around me succeed? Second, Am I more worried about protecting the repu- my reputation or the reputation of others and the Lord? And then third, in my conversations with the people around me, am I seeking to encourage others or to only impress them with myself? This uh, summer, I had the opportunity to job shadow several of you just to see what you went through in your everyday life and your work as worship. And each one, I was went away rocked. It, just the calling that God's put on you as you go out um, doing what he's called you to do. And Shelly Ashley, I had the opportunity to, or she was kind enough to let me shadow her for a day as she works in upper level management, leading a team within the Goodwill Industries. And I'll, hopefully we'll tell, tell you more about that whole ministry. But uh, I met one of her team, one of her leaders, who uh, his sole job is to go out and be a support for others one of the people that he supports are the managers at the Goodwill stores in our city. So every Goodwill store has a manager, and this guy shows up, and here's his question to them on a regular basis. What's your career dream? And so the Goodwill manager says the dream, and it's usually not to be a manager of a Goodwill store. It's something else. And then that guy's job description, he said, I'm here to help you form the path to that dream, and we're going to see you realize it. Who does that? Show up to say, hey, I'm going to help you reach a dream that's going to take you out of our company, and we've invested all this time and stuff in, but we want to see you go do what God called you to do. Who does that? Somebody who's thinking like Jesus. This mindset in you. Um, Think like Christ rather than self-absorbed, others first. And the Lord blesses that. We reflect his glory in that. Second mindset shift that we see in this passage is in verse 8, and this is where it gets tough. As he says, uh, speaking of Jesus, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The old mindset, our default posture of relating with each other is selective obedience. So there will be a moment in our relational world where we will have to die to our own will. Where we want our way, God says, no, I've called you to love this person sacrificially, and it looks like this. And it may be to forgive someone. It may be to serve them humbly. It may be to set aside your rights. And and the question is this. In that moment of truth, will we go with selective obedience 
or will we obey him to death, dying to self? At the point in our relational world where we say to God, I will love this person up to this point, but I don't care what you say, I'm not going to love them any further. We open a door, we open a portal for the enemy of our soul to destroy that relationship. We let the devil have access into our relational world, what matters most, at the point of our selective obedience. Does that make sense? And he'll blow it up. I I think it's safe to say every relational conflict can be traced back to a moment of selective obedience where we're just telling God, I know you said this, but I'm not going to do it in terms of loving that person. But if we will follow Christ, and this is the tough, but this is powerful, into a new mindset, which is I will be obedient to death, to death. I will humble myself and I will become obedient. I will love this person to my last breath should it be to die for them. The power of God flows through your life into that relationship to redeem, to reconcile, and the glory of God shows up in our relational world. The greatest good that has ever been done was was done through our, our Lord becoming obedient to death on a cross for us. And he reconciled through that our relationship with God. It made that possible and with each other. And then he says what to us? If you want to follow me, if you want to call yourself a disciple, take up your what? Cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. And he will do what, what only he can do in that That relationship, is it hard? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. But is it worth it? Oh, a thousand times, yes, it's worth it. Paul said it this way, for I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He said, I've already died, and this is how I view myself. I'm not alive right now. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you die to self in the realm of relationship, what are you doing? You're saying, God, here I am. I trust you with my life and in this relationship. And then what does he do? And this is what what is so important to know. Because when, when we take up the cross and we die to self, that's not the end of the story. What's God do? Watch this, verse 9. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. And gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we die to self, what's God do? He says, I'm going to lift you up. And as he lifts us up, it's not for our glory, but it's for his glory. And so out of this, he says, he calls us to this new mindset, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, this is obedience to the cross, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us to will and to act according to to his purpose. And so how do we get there? Um, 
by the way, just a, a side note right here, this is a process, becoming obedient to death, and we, I heard, I've shared the quote a number of times, but the problem with the living sacrifice is it's always crawling off the altar, and we can say, okay, Lord, I'm here for you, and I've surrendered my life to you, and this relationship, and then tomorrow we're struggling to forgive again, or to put the other person first, and that's part of the journey, and the, the goal is, though, to just continue to, to press into this, and continue to allow our mindset to be transformed. And what this verse calls us to is an interesting concept and um, encouraging. Who's at work in you changing your mindset? Or who's responsible? As you seek to relate like Christ, are you to do the work or is God going to do the work? Who's doing it? Well, in verse 12, it says, work out your salvation. So we're doing the work, right? As God works in you. It's a divine human cooperative. Isn't that a cool picture? So you have a part to play. I have a part to play. So what part do we play? Well, five habits of a Christ follower. Worship, reach, connect, grow, serve. Show up to receive his word. Uh, be a witness. Reach a person. Get, get involved in a small group to allow God's grace to flow through them and you to them. Daily meet with God. Grow. Daily meeting, abiding in Him, serve in a ministry. These are things that we do, and we make a decision to do, but we can grow apathetic. I don't really need that. I'm okay. When actually that's our role. As we, and as we put ourselves in the position to receive God's grace, He does what He can do, make it work. And agriculture is helpful in this. It's a, a good picture. This summer, I've, I've always wanted to plant Cleveland select pear trees because, man, the glory of God in the spring and then... Um, then in the fall, they hold their leaves, and just a beautiful tree. Finally, I found some on sale this spring, and so I, I bought five. And I was discouraged, though, when I read the tag that said, plant, plant in full sun. Well, I didn't want to plant them in the full sun. I wanted to plant them in the back of our property under the shade where they'd be a privacy screen. And so um, I had the tension right there. Do I buy these and plant them in the shade, or do I just pass on this? dream that I've had for a while. And so as a, the guy that I am, what did I think? I'm the exception to the rule. These will grow for me in the shade. I'll just give them some extra water and fertilizer and we'll be good. Well, guess out of those five Cleveland select pear trees, guess how many are still thriving back there? Two. <laughs> and they have just enough, enough sun to get through it. God calls us to position ourselves in the sun, right? But who makes us grow? He does. But we must um, practice the habits, work out our salvation. You, you know, and by the way, salvation here, when you hear, see salvation in the Bible, there's three tenses or three phases of salvation. There's justification where we come to Christ and we're declared right before him and righteous before him, and that's a done deal. We're, we're forgiven. There's sanctification where we're being saved, we're becoming more like Christ, and then there's glorification. One day we will be saved. The, the uh, salvation that's in view here is the sanctification. So as we become more like Christ, we're to be doing what, it, what he's called us to do. So diagnostic question here is, which of the five core habits have I become apathetic in practicing um, worship, reach, connect, grow, serve. And then the second question, is there, any, is there an area in my relational world that I have not surrendered to the Lord, that, that he would be calling me to surrender to today? 
All right, on to the third mindset shift. So we've gone from self-absorbed to others first, from selective obedience to obedient to death. But the third glimpse of the mindset of Christ is found in verse 14. Here we go. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So the old mindset is to grumble and argue. And isn't it interesting? He says, do everything. Why? What do we tend to do everything normally? We can be sitting on that mountain of blessing, and what do we do? We grumble about that one thing that we wish we had. <laughs> when here God has given us health and life and blessing after blessing. And then, um, did anyone have to teach us how to ar- argue? You know, it's like, we... Uh, Early on, we're like, okay, there's a thousand and one ways to skin a cat, but my way to skin a cat is best, and if everybody else doesn't agree with that, they've got issues, and uh, you say black, I say white, and we just, there's this conflict arguing, but what's God call us to on this little um, outpost of heaven? How are we to relate with each other? With gratitude, and the opposite of grumbling and arguing is gratitude, and then to be a unifying force. That goes back up to verses 1 and 2. Remember what we've been given in Christ. And then verse 2, be one and, and pursue unity. Be, be a unifying force with each other. A couple diagnostic questions. Am I thanking God daily for his blessing? Is gratitude just overflowing in my heart? Is the tone of my conversation in my head, you know, we all have this conversation running in my head. Is it grateful and positive or is it grumbling and negative? And then am I a unifying force in my relationships or am I divisive as I interact with the people around me? Okay, what comes next is the igniting vision. What would happen if we all live like this and we shift our mindset and he shows us, he gives us a glimpse of it there in verse 15. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, here it is, you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And the vision is, as we live with the mindset of Christ, this is going to happen. We are going to shine like stars in a dark and crooked generation. In what way is the generation crooked? Everybody's fighting. Does that happen to describe our generation right now? (laughs) And as the body of Christ, though, we shine. How? We put on the mindset of Christ as we relate with each other. It's a process, but it is possible through, his, through the power that he's given us. Isn't that awesome? And what a gift God has given us that we might thrive relationally for his glory. So now we come to the most important time of this hour as we will, you in your own heart, in the quietness of your prayer, meet with the Lord and hear what he's said to you. And as we come to communion, this is for those who have trusted Christ as, as, as your Savior. And if you haven't, his invitation is open to you today. And Jesus took our sin to the cross, died on our place, and he invites us to, to trust him as, as our Savior. And whoever does is promised the forgiveness of our sin before God and enters a relationship with him. So as we come to communion, I love these three Thoughts. The first is we, we celebrate or we remember our deliverance and just take a moment and thank him that, that we've been saved. And then second, we remember our inheritance. 
Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. And guys, as real as this moment is, we're going to be with him face to face. And this dinner or this meal that we celebrate or taking the bread and cup, we're going to share with him one day. And so we just, in these moments, we look ahead and remember, this isn't home. <laughs> home is coming. And then third, we recommit ourselves to, uh, to follow him, to take up our cross. I love the picture. The bread represents his body broken for us. The juice represents his blood poured out for us. And we, as we take each of these, we're energized to use our bodies and say, I'll be broken for you, Lord. I'll go spend the energy you put in these limbs for your glory and the blood that flows through my veins, it's yours. And I'll spend it in what you've called me to do. And so I invite you to, to uh, and what we'll do today, it'll be a little different. Our, uh, we'll serve the elements, and if you would, we'll be singing a song. You can just pray on your own, and when you're ready, take them on your own. And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with the song. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we just bow before you now. So grateful that we can call you Father. And know that you love us with a love that's immeasurable. And we kneel at the cross, Lord, and just fix our eyes, Jesus, on, on you, giving your body to be broken and your blood poured out as an atoning sacrifice. And we thank you with all of our heart. Jesus, we praise you and we worship you in these moments. Lord, we do pray for cleansing of our own heart. Purify our hearts and give us your love for each other. Forgive us for the ways that we failed in this and just help us to take whatever next step it is that you're leading us to. Lord, I thank you for this vision that you've given us in your word, a reminder of, of uh, what your mindset is, but then the hope of, of actually doing this and the impact that this could have in our homes and in our community. So, Lord, I pray what happens in these next few moments, that your presence would just set us free. Empower us to go be your blessing and live for your glory as we leave this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.